Ephesians is in the New Testament and uh, we're going to be there for the next few months. I'm really excited about this letter. This is a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote. He's one of the early church leaders and he wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus which uh, if you, uh, you, you might know is what is now in modern day Turkey. And um, Ephesians, this letter is a little bit like 30,000 feet in the air kind of stuff. It's big picture things. There's a little bit of nitty gritty. How, do you, how are you meant to live your life in there? Absolutely. But it's mainly big picture stuff of what God is doing in Jesus through his people. That's what Ephesians is. It's big picture stuff. But it makes a massive difference to the way that we live our lives. So for example, if you think of uh, an, an Olympic athlete, the big picture for them is the Olympic Games. That's the big thing. That's the 30,000 feet picture. That changes the way they live their day to day. That will change the food that they eat. That will change the sleep that they have. That will change the clothes that they wear. So the big picture makes a massive difference to the way that we live day to day. So our aim as we go through this series is yes, to give us a sense of the big picture, but to allow that big picture to infiltrate through and affect the way that we live. And so we're going to start today by reading the first 14 verses of Ephesians. And I've called this sermon, Count Your Blessings. And hopefully you'll understand why as I read these first 14 verses. So we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And just so you know, the first two verses are Paul introducing himself to the church. And we're going to focus mainly on verses 3 up to 14. So let's read the word of God together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. Phew. <laughs> when you get excited about something, very often you forget to pause. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of a child talking to you about something they've just done that's really exciting. Maybe if you're parents or have taken care of kids, you'll know the experience. They come in from whatever activity they've done and suddenly oxygen doesn't exist anymore. It's like, and, and then we did this, and then we did this, and then this, and then this, and then this happened, and then we did this, and then my friend did this, and then we did that, and, then, and it's like, they can't stop. When, we're, when people are excited, they forget to pause. And that's a little bit like what verses 3 to 14 feel like. 
It's almost like Paul is, he wouldn't have written this with a pen and paper. He'd have dictated it and a scribe would have written it. And it's almost like you can feel the scribe starting to sweat as Paul is talking. It's like Paul is, Paul is saying, and then God did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he also did this. Oh, and by the way, he also did that, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. And by the time you get to the end of the verse 14, it's like you can hear Paul go, <gasps> comes up for oxygen. Because Paul doesn't even pause throughout these verses. If you read this verse, these verses in the original language, it's one single sentence. It's the longest sentence in the whole Bible. He's so excited that he can't even stop for punctuation. What is it that's making Paul so excited? Well, the thing that's making him excited, we read about in verse three. I mean, what a way to start a letter. I don't know if you've ever had a letter come through your letterbox that starts like Ephesians. But Paul is excited and he's excited about this, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The reason Paul's excited is that God has blessed us, which means to do us good. That's what blessing means, means to do someone good. And the way he has blessed us is with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's why he's excited. This is a big deal. In fact, it's such a big deal that, I don't know if you notice, the whole of the Trinity is involved in this blessing. In other words, it's not something that God has delegated to an angel. Okay, we need to bless these people, but Michael, can you go and do it? I'm a little bit busy at the moment with stuff that really matters. No, the whole of the Godhead, the whole of the Trinity is involved in this. I don't know if you noticed that. God the Father's involved. He is the blesser. He's the one who gives. He's the giver. God the Holy Spirit is involved. These are spiritual blessings what it means for them to be spiritual blessings it means that they are blessings of the holy spirit in fact these aren't blessings like money and houses and finances as much as we praise god for those kind of blessings these are much more important paul tells us that these are blessings in the heavenly places which is another way of referring to the spiritual world these are blessings that will not ever perish Yeah, sure, you can get a new house and a new car and God provides it and we thank him for it, but one day they're going to perish. These blessings will never, ever perish. So God the Father's involved, God the Holy Spirit's involved, and finally God the Son is involved. Why and how do we get these blessings? Well, Paul tells us with two very simple but incredibly profound words in verse 3, we have these blessings in Christ. You know the saying, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know? There's probably nowhere else where that's more true than Christianity. It doesn't matter how much you know or how little you know. What matters is who do you know? And the only way that we get these blessings is because of who we know. It's in Christ. In other words, they're not just blessings that God randomly gives to all human beings. These are blessings that he gives to those who are joined to Jesus. And if you're here today and perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus, you've not made that decision, can I encourage you, as I read through these blessings, these amazing things that are true for those who are in Jesus, why don't you consider, would you want to follow him? Would you want to be joined to him? Would you like to turn away from your current life and turn to a new life in Jesus? Would you like to put your trust in him? Would you like to acknowledge that he is king of the universe and get baptized and become part of the church? 
Because if as I'm reading it, you, you start thinking, I really want that. These are blessings that become available to those who are in Christ. It's wonderful. But what are these blessings? Well, we could spend the whole sermon series talking about what these blessings are, but I've decided to do it the same way that Paul does, which is very quickly, to just rattle through them all. And the aim is that we kind of get a little bit of a sense of what all of these different things Paul is describing are, but not primarily that we can remember them all off the top of our heads, but that we get to the end and go, oh, that's why Paul's excited. That's why I should be excited. So let's whiz through them. We've got seven blessings that Paul talks about here. Number one. If you are in Christ, he chose us. Verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian first and foremost because you decided to. You're a Christian because God chose you. Isn't that astounding? You are chosen by the creator of the universe. And you're not chosen in the same way that we would choose someone for a football team. It's like you kind of line everyone up and go, yeah, they're good, they're not that great, so I'm going to choose that one. And then, oh, they're kind of nearly as good as the first person, so I'll choose him next. That's not how God chooses us. How do I know that? Well, the reason is, when did God choose us? In this verse, it says he chose us before the foundation of the world. So before you had any chance to do anything impressive or anything incredibly unimpressive, God chose you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you are or who you've been. If you're in Christ, he chose you before the foundation of the world, which is astounding. I mean, that's going to make us humble. It's not like we can say, hey, God chose me because I'm impressive. Like, well, what had you done when he chose you? It's also an encouragement. In moments where we think, gosh, I've blown it again before you had done. Did God choose you because of what you've done? No, he chose you before you had done anything. It's amazing. He chose us. Number two, he gave us the destiny of being adopted. He decided that we would become adopted. Listen to this, verse five. In love, he predestined us, which basically means to give someone the destiny or to decide that something's gonna happen to someone. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ you are part of the royal family. If you're in Christ, you're not just let off the hook. It's not that God just says, you know what, I'm just gonna gonna let you off the hook. I won't give you what your sins deserve, but you better count yourself lucky. No, God said, I'm gonna adopt you into my family. And this isn't a cold, calculated thing that God does. How did he adopt us? It says, in love. He gave us the destiny. In love, he predestined us for adoption. In other words, God looked at you. He said, my love for you compels me to give you the destiny of becoming my child, to make sure that one day you will become my son or my daughter. It's absolutely astounding. The New Testament's astounded at this. First John 3 verse 1 says this, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. But so we are. Friends, we are adopted by the king of the universe. Number three, he's redeemed us. Verse seven, in him, in Jesus, again, it's all in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption or being redeemed is an amazing thing. We talk about redemption quite a lot in in various contexts. We redeem a voucher, redeem a gift card. Someone's redeemed himself. 
But in, in the Bible, and generally speaking, redemption means that you are, very often you're setting someone free, but you're paying a price for it. So in, in the world that Paul lived in, there was still slavery, which is a tragic thing, but it was a reality of daily life. There were slaves, and you could redeem a slave, which basically means you would pay a price in order to buy that slave and set them free. And that's what God has done for us. We were slaves to sin, unable to get ourselves out of it, completely helpless, unable to decide that we wanted to love God and worship him. And Jesus paid the price of his blood. We have redemption in his blood, which means we can be forgiven for everything that we've ever done in offense to God. God forgives us. Why? Because of Jesus' blood. He's redeemed us. It's amazing. And we're going to celebrate that with communion later as we drink the wine, as we break the bread. We're going to remember the death of Jesus and remember he's redeemed us. Number four, he's poured out his grace upon us. Verse eight, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Grace is an amazing word. It means you getting what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. It's like someone who's got themselves into debt through gambling or through crime even, and finding that their debt has been completely cleared. But not only that, they're not just brought up to zero again. They then transferred a million pounds into their bank account. That person's looking at their bank account going, I just got what I don't deserve. And every single Christian around the world should be looking at Ephesians 1 going, I got what I don't deserve. I didn't deserve this. But that's what grace is. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. If we got what we deserved, we would be hope, we'd have no hope. But we get what we don't deserve. And God's grace isn't sprinkled upon us. I love the word that's used here. It's not sprinkled, it's lavished upon us. So I was in France uh, recently, my parents lived there, and uh, there was a hosepipe ban. So they couldn't water their garden. They couldn't use their hose to water their garden, so... I don't know, they just had to figure it out using other forms of water. People might have water butts or so on. There's no hosepipe ban when it comes to the grace of God. Because my, my brother, who lives in France, is a fireman. Hosepipe bans don't apply to, fire, to the fire brigade. If there's a fire, you put that hose on the fire hydrant and that water is coming out at what, enough. I don't know if you've ever seen a child try to hold a, 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 a fireman's hose whilst it's going. If they put it on full power, it would literally catapult them around. That's what the grace of God is like. It's coming out 100 miles an hour. You can't contain it. You can't have enough containers to contain it. The grace of God is given, lavished upon us. All of these blessings are pure gifts. We didn't deserve it. And there's no container in the whole world that could contain the amount of grace that God gives his people. Number five, God has let us in on what his plan is. Verses 9 to 10 say this, In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He's let us in on his plan. Who here likes to be in the know? Who likes to kind of know what plans are going on, even when other people don't? I, I like that. I like the feeling of importance that comes with it. He's like, I know what the plan is before anyone else has even found out about it. I'm in the inner circle. There's something nice, okay, there's something wrong about that feeling, but there's also something slightly nice about it. Well, God has done that for us. If you're in Christ, one of the blessings that we get is we have the privilege of knowing what God's purpose is. And his purpose, we're told, 
is that in the fullness of time, which means when Christ returns, all things will be united in Christ. All things will come under the authority of Jesus. Every single thing in the whole universe will point to Jesus. Every single thing will show he is the purpose of all things. On that day, there's not a single part of creation, a single person, a single country, a single kingdom, a single molecule, a single demon or angel who will not willingly bow the knee to Jesus and point to him and say, he's the purpose of it all. That's what God's purpose is. And we get to find out about that now. We get to live our lives building towards that day when Christ is exalted above all things. Number six, told you there's lots in here. He has made us his inheritance. Now here, some of you might have different, slightly different translations in your Bible. But verse 11, in some of your translations will say something like, in him we have obtained an inheritance. That's true, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But some of your translations might have something like, in him we have been chosen, or in him we have been made an inheritance. And I think that's actually a slightly better way of translating the original language. That what's going on here is Paul's not talking about our inheritance. He'll get onto that in verse 14. He's talking about the fact that the people of God are his inheritance. That you and me, this varied group of people of different ages, different backgrounds, different nationalities, along with the millions of other Christians around the world and throughout history, are God's inheritance. We are the thing that he gets to, to, to own. We're his special possession. This is what 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says. You, talking to the church, talking to the people of God, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. If you're in Christ, you are part of God's inheritance. What a privilege. And then finally, number seven, he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 to 14, let's reread that. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. And there are two images that are used here to refer to the Holy Spirit. The first of those is the image of a seal, or maybe in our modern day equivalent might be a label. So my girls, when they go to nursery or to school tomorrow, in Zoe's case, are going to take a bottle that has a label on it that says hater family. That shows that that bottle belongs to the hater family. The Holy Spirit is spoken of like that. That's what a seal was in the ancient world. It was like a wax stamp that would show this thing belongs to so-and-so. And the Holy Spirit is given to Christians in part as a way of saying, this person belongs to Jesus. That's amazing. So the Holy Spirit has sealed us, but another picture that is used is that of a guarantee in verse 14. Or some of your translations in your Bibles might have something like down payment or deposit. This is the, the kind of language that if you're buying something quite expensive, you very rarely pay the whole thing in one go. What you'll often do is put a deposit down and that deposit is a way of you saying, I am going to pay the rest later. That's what God does with, his, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given as a deposit guaranteeing that one day there's more to come. It's a guarantee 
The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. It's a, gar- a guarantee of eternal life. So anytime you experience the, pre- the presence of the Spirit in your life, you can remind yourself, I belong to Jesus. This is evidence of the fact that I belong to Jesus. And it's evidence of the fact that there's a destiny, an inheritance of eternal life that awaits me. It's absolutely astounding. And all of that is packed into 12 verses. Like I said, we could do a sermon series on it. But hopefully you're getting a sense of why Paul is so excited because of everything that Jesus has done. It's no wonder that he doesn't pause for breath. And we have to hope that the poor scribe got a bit of a break to rest his wrist before he then moves on to verse 15. Paul is so excited and so should we be. But before we finish, I want to just warn us that there is a danger if we don't read this passage carefully. There's a danger that what happens is we end up reading this passage and end up thinking, oh, so it's basically all about me. It's all about what I get. It's all about what I become. And this is a particular danger because we live in a culture and a society that is obsessed with ourselves. In fact, many, many good things. We celebrate lots of diversity of different people's um, the backgrounds and different people's identities and, and so on. We celebrate that. There's a lot of good to that, but it's an obsession culturally. I don't know if you've noticed. We obsess over who am I? I need to discover who I am. And we need to be aware that that kind of thing can creep into the, the church and into our walk with God in subtle ways. I don't know if you've noticed, I mean, I, I, over the last 10 years, if you follow how kind of Christian music goes, that there's an increasing number of songs, very often good songs, that are about our identity as Christians. Those are good songs. Those are things to celebrate, but there's an increase of them. And there's a, the danger isn't that those songs aren't true. The danger isn't that we shouldn't sing those songs. The Bible celebrates the identity that we have in Jesus. The danger is if we stop there. The danger is if we follow our culture and make the biggest good that we could have what is true about us. Actually, what this passage encourages us to do, the passage, that the longest description in the whole Bible, as far as I know, of who we now are because of what Jesus has done, ultimately moves beyond us to him. Do you notice, all the way throughout the passage, it says, verse five, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verses 11 and 12. He works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And the whole thing climaxes with to the praise of his glory. And so what this passage encourages us to do is to remember that when we delight in what God has done for us and who he's made us to be, that is not actually the end goal. The end goal is that we would then point back to the one who has made us who we are. God's the main actor. That God is the one that we ultimately celebrate. And so we can read passages like this and sing songs about what Jesus has done, about who he's made us, and sing them as songs of praise to the one who has made us like this. So can I encourage you, as you meditate and think about this passage throughout this week, allow yourself to delight in what God has done to you. Allow yourself to take joy in who God has made you but allow it to take you even further than yourself. Allow it to take you to the one who has done all of this and to the one who has done all of this in order that he may be seen to be the greatest and the most glorious. That's God's ultimate aim. God's ultimate aim, 
Yes is to love us. Yes is to do us good. But all of that is part of an even bigger aim, which is to show how glorious he is. And we get to play our part in showing how glorious he is by delighting in him as we delight in the things that he's done for us. It's absolutely astounding. I can't think of a letter that starts like this outside of Ephesians. It's absolutely astounding. So why don't we celebrate? Why don't we use the next five or so minutes to celebrate what Jesus has done and to point to, what he, to who he is because of what he's done. And so we're going to take communion together. We're going to remember that truth of redemption through the blood of Jesus. We're going to remember that every blessing that we have is in Christ. And so I'd encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, please do come down at some point as we sing this next song and take bread and take wine and allow it to be an exercise that reminds you of what Jesus has done. But we're going to celebrate. Well, so why don't we stand and I'll pray and then we will respond to the praise of his glory. That's what we're going to do in the next few minutes and for the rest of our lives, but in a very concentrated way in the next few minutes. We are going to sing songs to the praise of his glory. So Father, I thank you that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ Jesus. What a privilege. What a privilege. What an awesome God that we worship. I thank you that you have lavished your grace upon us. I thank you that there's no limits in your goodness. And Father, we delight in you. We delight in what you've done. And so Father, I pray, help us to grow in our enjoyment of these blessings and help us to grow in our enjoyment of the one who has given us these blessings. And help us to, help us to live lives that are to the praise of your glory, Lord God. We're not, we are never going to be fulfilled until we are fulfilling the very purpose you've created us for, which is to point to you. Lord, as long as we point to us, we will not feel fulfilled. So we want to point to you. So help us, Lord, to, as Paul says in the next few verses, to get revelation, to get it, to read these verses and go, I get it. I get what Jesus has done. I get what God has done. And that that would explode in praise to you. So we pray, Holy Spirit, would you inspire praise in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.